More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. Paraco Gas is the 10th largest propane retailer in the United States, serving over 120,000 customers throughout the northeastern U.S. Half a century ago, Pat Armentano, Paraco's founder, began selling propane out of his garage in Mount Vernon, New York. His granddaughter, Christina, the executive vice president of sales and business development of the Paraco Gas Corporation, is following in his entrepreneurial footsteps. We had the opportunity to sit down with Christina to discuss her return to the family business, the challenges of prioritizing culture in rapidly expanding business, and her vision for Paraco's future. Enjoy this episode with Christina. Christina, look, I mean, let's get started with the simple basics here. Like what we love to do is like we love to ask the family member to tell us more about the family business's history in their own words, because it's always really special when, you know, a family member talks about it. So if you wouldn't mind just giving us a little bit of the gist here, you know, how you guys got started and and how you personally also came to join the business. Sure. Be more than happy to. So Perico Gas has been in business for over 50 years. Uh, it was originally started by my grandfather in 1968. Uh, we were first in the welding supply business, and my grandfather started the company out of a garage in Mount Vernon, New York. Uh, and if you really want to understand kind of our history, you need to understand my, my grandfather's history. So very, um, very much an entrepreneur, was the youngest of 10 children. Uh, and really came from absolutely nothing and had many um, different opportunities and would even call it careers uh, before he, he moved into the industrial gas business and really grew this organization from, as I mentioned, a garage in Mount Vernon, New York, to where we are sitting today, which is a propane distribution company that has over 33 locations within the Northeast. We have physical locations in five states, but we deliver to eight different states. We have uh, over 500 employees and we have 120,000 customers throughout the Northeast. So it, it was a, a journey through both organic growth as well as acquisition growth to get to where we are here today. Um, but a very, you know, very special business that is still very true to its entrepreneurial roots as well as its family roots. And then for me personally, I joined the business in 2014. It actually took about about eight or nine years before I joined the company business. It's been a a very beautiful journey. Usually there is um, a call or a letter or a family dinner that eventually makes someone who is actually really successful in their external career sort of like come to the family business. Do you remember there having been a moment where you were like, yeah, they need me or a moment where you realized like, I absolutely want to do this? There was a moment. So for me, it was, I am very driven. I'm very career ambitious. And it was incredibly important for me to create my my own career path first um, before joining the, the family business. 
And there were several opportunities that whether it was my grandfather or my father had had with me and said, Christina, we got this opportunity. We got this opportunity. And it just, they weren't either the right fit for me from a career perspective, or I didn't think I was the best fit for that opportunity at the role uh, at the time. And I've tried really hard to separate both family and business and try to put that mindset, okay, if I were hiring somebody for this role, would I hire myself? And I had gotten the call that said, we need somebody who can come in, who can really have a strong pulse on our employee morale. Mm -hmm. And we need somebody who can come in, who can spend time in the field, and somebody who can completely reorganize and reshape our HR department. And it was that phone call. And I said, you know what? I can do this. And I think I will be the best person at this point in time for this role. Mm -hmm. And it would be a great introduction for me to come into the business. And somewhere I felt like I could make a direct and immediate impact. Mm -hmm. So I can't remember necessarily where I was sitting or where the phone call took place, but I said, (laughs) that makes sense. And going from being out of the business for that eight or nine years had given me the ability and kind of the confidence to say, okay, I know where I need to stand. I know what value I need to bring. And I feel confident in the ability that, that I'll be able to do it. And I also feel confident that if I, if, I, if I struggle or if I need help, that I can say I need it and where I can know where my strengths are and where my areas of development are and feel good about making this my next career move. So that was that was kind of the transition for me. And fascinating moment, though, to to enter, right, like to enter into the business, that moment where you go from being, you know, a constructive and supportive outsider that is a family yeah. member to becoming part of operations at the moment where you joined the business, like how many family members were involved? And like when you started working there, was there like a reality check where you were like, oh, wow, okay, so this is what it's like on the inside. This is what's actually going on. And what was that like for you? I had always been exposed to the business, whether it was sitting in on meetings, even as a young child. You know, I used to travel with my dad to some of the events and conventions he would have. So I've always been exposed to it. Um, Even when I was younger and we would take walks, you know, walking the dog, um, walking with with my dad or my grandfather or my uncles, it would always be part of the conversation. But when you're in it, it wasn't a major culture shift because I think I was very prepared to know that as a family member, you're held to a different standard. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big believer that you are the first person in the office and you're the last person to leave. And there is no matter what, there is going to be a, um, uh, you're under a microscope in many ways and you need to lead by example. And I think that when I came into the business, I was really ready and prepared for that. And the responsibility that comes with being part of the family business. Mm-hmm. So my, my father um, had been running the company uh, as CEO since the late 80s. Uh, my grandfather had passed actually in 2010. So I never had the opportunity to work with him at the business. Um, and then my, my uncle at the time was running our, our company called Perico South. Uh, as well as our acquisitions department. Mm-hmm. Those are the family members, both my father and my uncle. But the transition was, it went very smoothly. Um, you know, what I think was, was beneficial is I was, I was out there in the field. I tend to be a very 
hands-on, roll-up-your-sleeves type of person and being able to listen to what were the challenges and what were the employees facing and what policies maybe do we need to change or put into place to now create a better overall work environment. I took it very quickly and it was a great way, as I mentioned, to understand the business at a different level or at a different way than I ever had before, really from the ground up. So it, it, it was a very hard, absolutely, um, very, very long hours, but well worth it. I was going to ask as a, because as a method, right? Like, so it's a double-edged sword to be coming into the business as a family member um, and immediately getting a project that implies change. How did you manage relationships with non-family uh, with non-family employees and how did you position yourself in the business to make it the success that you clearly made it? So when I first came into the company, the important thing to also note is I was not reporting to a family member. I was reporting to our vice president of operations, a gentleman named Mike DeVoe, who I had a lot of respect for. And when I you know, had my, I'll call it phone interview with him before coming on board, um, we talked and we talked about expectations. And I had said to him, what is very important to me, the only thing I ask of him is that he has to hold me accountable mm-hmm. and he has to treat me like any other employee that is working for him. So that mm-hmm. was very important. When coming into a role um, that really was triggering some change, what I wanted to showcase to the employees was my listening skills, that I'm also very empathetic. And I am a strong communicator. So mm-hmm. if something is happening or something is changing, it was really critical that I was showing management what changes I wanted to make and why. Mm-hmm. Uh, and making sure then to then communicate it down to all individuals within the organization. The other thing that was really important to me is showing respect. Uh, this is something that my grandfather you know, taught me. You will have to show the exact same respect to the janitor within the organization as the CEO. That is it. You know, everybody deserves to be spoken to in a certain manner and to understand the direction the company is going in and that it is important to, to showcase that. So that was helpful for me as I maneuvered through uh, this first role within the organization and really putting in some changes and some policies. Were you the first female member of your family business to join the family business or have, have there been others? Yes. You're the first. Yes. But not to put any sort of like very like sort of glass ceiling gender specific spin on this, but like just out of curiosity, because it is quite a male kind of industry on top of that, right? Like it's not even exactly like, a, like there's a great amount of women I'm assuming also in the workforce. So has that been something that has ever been brought to your attention or did you just categorically ignore it as something that didn't matter to you? Well, it's interesting because when you also mentioned, you know, what's what's your brand? You know, how did you put your brand out there? There were two elements that I was thinking through as I came on board. It was number one, I got to prove myself as a family member. And then it was number two, you are a woman within this industry. And it, it is the, it was kind of both of those coming at once saying, okay, 
here I am that I have to go out there and showcase I am the best person for this job. And, you know, there are, you know, being in that that type of uh, industry, no matter no matter what it is when it tends to be male dominated. I think for myself, it was a OK, I really have to show everybody that I can do this and I'm the right person. I didn't really face any sort of challenges that came along with the role because I'm a big believer that if you come in and you do your job and you work hard and you show that you have a work ethic and that you're a team player, it doesn't matter what gender you are. And that no matter what, even the folks that may be more used to a traditional type of company, if they see you come in and that you're, you're, you're pulling your weight, you will earn their respect. Mm -hmm. Um, so I never made a big deal out of it. The only way I really made a big deal out of it was probably more in my head. Um, and I think if you look at where I am now to where I am four years later, it's more of Christina, you know, you're doing a good job. The only person you have to prove uh, yourself to is yourself, you know, where I think that mentality's changed, um, a little bit where I was out to just make sure everybody knew that I was, um, you know, ready to, to, to work to work hard and up for challenge. Exactly. I, th- I think though, one thing that might have to be mentioned here is as well, like a lot of women would come in with, with exactly that very wise attitude that you have here, which is basically like, you know, understanding that ultimately work should speak for itself, et cetera, and, and stuff like that. We do see though, however, that a lot of that, the possibility given to those women is dependent on the parent generation or the father or the mother who is like, you know, the, the incumbent generation um, sort of setting that culture as well. And, and, and setting that frame of mind generally in the company. Do you, do you attribute the fact that you've been successful at having this attitude as well to how your father and your uncle have been running the business? Or like, do you feel like the culture was already sort of at a point where you were like, yeah, it was, it was perfect timing for me then to come in as a woman. And I, and it was relatively easy because they had the right mindset. You know, I think it has from a cultural perspective, and I go back to the comment I meant before, the organization has always been some, a place where we, I wouldn't say reward, but we, we look fondly on those that bring value to the organization. And I think that, and we have had female leaders within the organization before. So uh, by no stretch of the imagination, am I the only you know, individual at the management level uh, that, that is a female? And I, I keep going back to, it comes with, you know, you, you, you got to make sure you come in and then you deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the path has somewhat been set um, already, but it was really my opportunity to take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. You know, there is still, and I, you know, mentioned even before we started, you know, the, um, you know, I do, I do have a family at home too. And there's always that, you know, kind of that, that notion of, okay, how, how are we going to have somebody who's going to be able to come in and, and deliver and deliver results, but also balance it with family life. And what I have shared and what I shared with my family is, listen, this work is unbelievably fulfilling to me. It, it brings a smile to me. It is something that I find unbelievably rewarding. Mm-hmm. And a good wife and a good mother is somebody who's happy. You know, so that's why it is so critical for me to continue to, uh, you know, go down the path that I have and, and the roles that I've had, because it is, you know, very fulfilling overall. 
But you know, I think that there's there's always going to be situations, no matter what industry you're in, especially what tends to be male dominated, where you still have a lot of those traditional mindsets and and uh, you know naysayers per se, uh, whether it's within this organization or other organizations. But I think you know, as as a uh, professional, you know, no matter what, you just can't let it bother you. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't take it personal. And I think I've done a very good job of kind of understanding that and, and working my way through it. Are you a lot like your grandfather? I think in many ways, you know, I tend to be very persistent. I'm a go-getter. I do believe I have an entrepreneurial spirit. And, you know, I, I think that if he were able to kind of see what I've done with the organization so far, he'd be very proud. Well, that's an excellent, what an excellent feeling to have when you, when you get to work in the morning, because the founder figure, of course, for the third generation is a very important figure to sort of think back to, right? Like, I think that, I mean, probably you're familiar with the fact that the third generation is usually termed as the the more problematic. Uh, it's, it's sort of like the, the really the tough test for a family business, like, you know, make it past the third generation. There's some debate about that. I'm personally not a big believer in that being the case, but if we look at, at the complexity of your situation, maybe at this stage as a company within your industry, within the economy that you're in, et cetera, today, what are sort of the, the main, the mega forces that are pulling and pushing you guys around? You know, what is the biggest challenge that you as a family business are facing today? What are sort of like the struggles that you're aware of and that you're sort of like trying to tackle? Sure. So I'll talk about our really internal challenges as well as really the external ones that are facing the industry overall. Mm-hmm. So when you look at us as an organization, we've really grown dramatically over the years through acquisitions, you know, 49 acquisitions to date. This year for us, especially going through three really major acquisitions within the last year, a challenge for us has been, you know, growing pains, mm-hmm. which I think any organization that does experience these, this rapid growth tends to have. So for us, this year is very much, I'll call it a transformational year, but also a year of looking at our foundation. So taking kind of a step back saying, okay, let's look within our different departments, whether that is customer service, whether that is dispatch and delivery, uh, sales and marketing, and understanding how do we, now that we're celebrating our 50 years in business, really work on that overall foundation. So now we can go at least another 50 years. So a challenge or really a task that I was asked to do. So I went from just from a career history perspective, I went from the HR role to then running our acquisitions department for about a year and a half. And then most recently within the last six months was asked to take on sales and marketing as well as acquisitions. So that's really the growth channel. So really our, our challenge or what I've been tasked with is how do we now position the organization for organic growth? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I came in, restructured our entire uh, sales department, have a great, excellent, excellent team. And really, it's I, I hate to say it this way, but it's going back to basics. So, you know, what are some of the programs and the low-hanging fruit that we can put into place that are going to help set us up for success? Mm -hmm. And we just finished our our first quarter. Um, Our year ends on July 31st, and we hit our numbers both for inside sales as well as outside sales, both um, from a gallons and a margin perspective with, with actually less payroll dollars. That was my challenge and my goal, and we are you know, moving in the right direction. We've also done some restructuring within our company and reinvestment of technology. 
So there, we're, we're truly making changes, as I said, within each different department to help build and solidify that foundation. Again, so we're really ready for the, those next 50 years. It's it's interesting, at the very beginning of this conversation, you immediately mentioned your grandfather, saying like to, for him, it was really a bit of a rags to riches, typical story of the yeah. founder, et cetera. And, and you immediately mentioned entrepreneurship, which of course is like, it, it is what ultimately fuels any family business to last as long as it does. And and I like how you couple this sort of talking about entrepreneurship and that short-term excitement that comes with all of that growth that you're seeing, but at the same time, talking about setting yourself up for the next 50 years, such an interesting combination that you usually find only in the family business uh, in terms of perspective. So entrepreneurship, though, has to obviously go beyond the family circle in a family yeah. business. So I was wondering from the combination of all the experiences that you've had throughout the different departments of the company, how do you instill a culture of entrepreneurship in 500 people? Like, I mean, yeah. how do you, how do you even get started with that? Yes. Yes. And I, I, I saw you going in this direction with the question. <laughs> so I'm glad that you asked it. So I, I'm a big believer that if we are going to be successful for, for the next 50 years, which I truly believe we're going to, we need to be able to look at the business in a different way. And we have to be able to instill within our employees a culture that they feel comfortable being able to express ideas that they have. So let me take it this way. So, you know, I am not going to be able to know if a driver uh, is experiencing something with deliveries that he thinks needs to be changed. He Mm -hmm. needs to express that. And we need to create a culture where employees feel comfortable raising their hand, not only saying, okay, hey, this is great. I like it. But it also has to be, this is not working well. Mm -hmm. And this is my suggestion for how we can make it better. Or this is not working well. And I don't know what the suggestion is, but I'm willing to help us as an organization figure it out. So that entrepreneurial spirit does have to live within every employee that we have. And we create that by creating an environment where they do come up with ideas and we take it and we run with it and we implement it. And then they say, wow, I made this suggestion and somebody actually listened and they made a change within the organization based on that. And that could be anything, as I mentioned, from the delivery experience to customer service to employee morale. That is what I truly believe is going to help us grow and be extremely successful by listening to our employees and making changes where we see it fit. That's how I think you create this entrepreneurial environment where it's an exciting place to be, where if a change wants to go into place, there's not all this red tape that you would see at a larger organization. We can do it. We can move quickly. We can be nimble. And that's where I think we, we have always really had a successful track record, that if we need to pivot and we need to make a change because of either internal challenges or external challenges, we're able to do that. So. I would say that spirit, that entrepreneurial spirit that my grandfather really founded the organization on continues to exist and thrive, but it's up to us, the executive team, the management team, to continue to push that culture within our employees. The size has changed considerably, though, as you've mentioned before, through acquisitions, like, you know, so you're at about 500, uh, 500 people right now. Will size 
won't size make this harder though? Like, you know, the, the, obviously there's the upside of, of course, seeing the business grow, but like you, you were talking about, you were using words like nimble and agility and stuff like that, which are things that we do tend to associate with companies that are on the smaller side. So do you think there's going to be a trade-off at some point where you feel like, well, we're going to become a bit of a bam up. That's going to be hard to move. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Or what, what do you think? I think when you get to a certain size, there's going to be some processes, some policies that may be harder to move. But this is where management and leadership are critical. So as we get to a larger size, it is essential that our leaders understand our values and understand the culture that we want to set, and then they can help lead. So when I look at it, yes, if we had managers still overseeing the same scale and scope of employees, maybe a little bit harder to steer that ship. But now we have individuals responsible for drivers, for certex, whoever it might be, they really need to be understanding what's going out there in the field and really understanding the change that needs to take place. So, you know, it's, it's hard to think about because you like to say, no, of course that wouldn't happen to us, but it can, and they can sneak up, but it's really making sure we have a pulse, again, back to the foundation of the business and being able to, whether it's on a daily, weekly, quarterly basis, look ourselves in the mirror and say, okay, what are we doing well? And what do we need to improve on? And having that honest conversation. I think it's when an organization has issues and challenges and they don't address it right away and they build and build and build. And now it's a year, it's two years, and now they've fostered that those are really hard to change. But if we continue to stay on top of what some challenges may be and course correct as needed, I think it would be easier to steer the ship. Last question, Christina, I promise. <laughs> it's just such a great interview. So I, I like to ask, I like to ask that question at the end of every interview because I do think it's something we're all like hustlers and we're all working really hard on our family businesses and our family legacies and stuff like that every single day. What is today your dearest wish for your family business? Like for, for Krakow Gas, like where you what what do you feel like, you know, would be sort of like the achievement or like, you know, the place where you would love to see it go where he's like, you know, that would truly excite me. That would be like a wish fulfillment moment to see it go there, basically. Yeah, I would like to, I'm going to, uh, the wishes is twofold. Okay. So I would love for us to be able to sit and have, have an interview, whether it's a year from now, five years from now and have number one, all of our, or the majority of our employees say, I love working for this company. Mm -hmm. I see the direction we're moving in. I see the change in the progress that we've made. And this is somewhere I really want to not only hang my hat, but I also want to be able to recruit other people to come and join this organization. I think we're, we're almost there. Uh, I feel very good about the place that we've created for our employees, but there's always room for improvement. So that would be number one. Number two would be improving our overall customer experience. You know, being able to say we have truly now leveraged technology to Mm -hmm. create a A plus customer experience. You know, as an industry, 
it is not one that has always really embraced technology. Mm -hmm. And there's many companies out there within our space that are doing a great job. But I feel that, um, you know, we could even step it up more where it's being the, you know, the, whether it's the Amazon of propane or whoever mm -hmm. you see as that kind of best in class, that is a hope I have for the organization. And again, we're taking the right steps now to get there, but um, that would be incredibly exciting. And I see it and I see where we need to be. And uh, I, you know, I'm looking forward to maybe the next interview we have, you know, whether that's, like I said, a year or five years from now, and I can say, hey, we made these unbelievable improvements. And if we can do those two things right, you know, I, you know one of my favorite quotes are, um, you know, the, the way that you treat your employees is a roadmap for how they treat your customers. Mm -hmm. And if we focus on those two things, employees and customers, everything else will come, you know, the, 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 the profits, you know, a, um, you know, the growth, it'll all come. But if you focus on those two important elements, then you're really setting yourself up for success. Christina, absolutely charming, charming interview. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes.